The crash site would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we create, the Yuggera and Turbal peoples. We also pay our respects to elders, past, present and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded. Always was and always will be Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people's land. What is this? Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> tying back everything we've been speaking about it comes back to that idea of when you stand on a precipice are you going to say yes and and jump off and build a parachute on the way down or are you going to go backwards and try and look for other things to build the staircase and and i think the most exciting things and the the spaces where there are that is there is that discovery is by saying yes and jumping off and building that parachute as you make your way down and, and saying that you know how to cook that menu when you don't and you know and, and figuring stuff out when you just have to do it because that's the that's almost part of being an artist and being a creative person is you've got to you know act your way through it that's exactly it and sometimes it works out i once tried to act as the director of marketing for a company that manufactured and engineered artificial wetlands for the purification of municipal and industrial wastewater basically we built swamps to to purify water with and you know so i'm talking about anaerobic and aerobic processes and like all the science and all this kind of stuff i was like i have no idea what i'm talking about um uh but i memorized the script and um was really trying to make it work in the end, the company kind of fell apart. I'm, I, I don't, I'm sure I had a, I'm sure I had a hand in that with my inabilities, but you, you have to try everything. You have to try it. Yeah. I mean, there's something so beautiful in that too, of, of also just having the courage and the confidence to try that stuff out and, and, you know, throw a bunch of things at the wall and see what sticks. And, you know, through that exploration, you, you discover also the things that work out and eventually generally things do do line up if, if you put the work and you put the effort in and you're willing to back yourself I, I i do want to sort of like take that concept and 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 shift it a little bit to maybe sort of the last sort of section of of, of our conversation because i was so drawn to your artist statement on your website and it's it touched on something that i'm really really passionate about and that is this idea of the in-between the idea of intersection, the idea of interdisciplinary exploration, the idea of the space between us. Um, and so I wanted to read just a little bit of your artist statement and then just hear a little bit about you maybe expanding on that idea and, and why it's in, in here for you and, and what it means to you. So um, partway through your artist statement, you said, learning and creating is based on an understanding of the spaces between the spaces between the actor and the character, the spaces between the character and the audience, the spaces between the actors themselves and the imaginary world they are in, the spaces between the collaborative artists and the work they are focused on. It is in an understanding of the spaces between where success is found. It is in these spaces we find common ground. I was wondering if you could just speak a little bit about that and, and, and what that idea of the in-between means to you. 
the understandings or what it is that I'm trying to convey are really based on my, um, what I understand the principles, the guiding principles for all of what we do as artists to, to be founded in. And there are three principles that I think all artists are working with. The foundations, the, the three elements of all the work are uh, rhythm, which implies tempo. We could call it musicality. I just use the word rhythm because uh, you can't have rhythm without tempo. Space, right? And then form. So you have three, three. Rhythm, space, and form. And you can't create without dealing with these three elements. And you have to have an understanding of each of them in order to be successful. I think what makes a lot of devised work fail is that uh, one of those is not, is not being considered, right? Um, or it's not being considered with, uh, with actual intelligent decision. Um, because a lot of performance art uh, leans on this idea of time in such a way that it actually asks us to disconnect from what it is that we're, we're, we're seeing until we decide to reconnect with it again and then we see it in a completely different way. So it's dealing with rhythm and tempo in a, in a, in a very uh, um, combative way, I guess you might say. But this idea of space, I think, is essential. I can't remember the woman's name. She, she was giving a talk on collaboration. And I want to say, I want to say, might have been when I was in graduate school for the second time. I have way too much education. Only some of it was useful. Uh, but she was talking about collaboration. And she said, listen, the, the mathematical formulation for collaboration is one plus one equals three. And what she meant by that was that you have, you have one collaborator on one side of the table and you have another collaborator on the other side of the, of the table. And what they're doing is they're creating an exchange through this space and what they're creating, what they're forming exists between them. And in the end, you don't know who's created it. And, and if, so if you have three collaborators, it's one plus one plus one equals four. Or if you have five, it becomes then six because you're always in a partnership with what exists between. And if you take one of those collaborators out and replace them with, a, with somebody else, what the outcome of the creative product will be completely different. If you're really focused on trying to develop what's going on in the in-between, what that space is that you're putting the energy and the ideas and the formative uh, materials into, and out of it then comes this thing that couldn't have existed without those individuals, right? So in the creative process, we're dealing with that, right? In the performance, we're dealing with it also because you know, I, in, in, as a teacher, I'm really fond of saying, okay, everybody, so you always have a space 
for the performers, like up here on the stage. This is the performer space. You always have that, always. And then you always have a space for the audience, always. The audience is over here, always a space. You always have a space for the audience and you always have a space for the performers, well, except when you don't. Because we're bending that and this idea of space for one and the other is the form in which we're creating an exchange. But the reason why we have to have this space for the audience and this space for the performers is because what's happening in the moment is happening between them. It's happening in that space between. There's an exchange. What's going on is not happening on the stage and it's not happening in the audience. It's happening in the space between. And that's what we're trying to animate. This is where the masks come in because they, they're reminding us that we have to communicate through space. There's a space between the actor and the mask, and there's a space between the mask and the audience. And so there's all this conversation going on. I'm having a conversation with the mask as the actor, the character, and the character with me, and the, the, the mask is having a, a conversation with the audience, and the audience with the mask, and the actor is facilitating that, and there's all this, oh, there's all this space that you've got to constantly be uh, generating energy through. In the martial arts, we call it ki or chi. It's an extension of ki. And, and it's a thing. It's, it's actually real. Um, uh, this exchange of energy, this reaching through space. In, in our performance world, we call it presence. You can teach yourself to be present. You can teach yourself to reach through space to be more present than another. Um, you can see it, it's tangible. You can see the space come, come to life. Um, and, and the space between is really, you know, it's also science. Uh, because if we look at atoms, if we look at the material creation at its most molecular level, at the teeniest, tiniest level, it's nothing but space. Material things, this cell phone, right, as, as hard as it is, um, is space. It's nothing but space. If we really are going to look at it at, at a very tiny level, it's filled with space. And there's communication with space, and it's that communication that makes it solid in our hands. And so everything is really about this communication through space, um, that it's the spaces in between. And, and we have to focus on that because otherwise you can't have a conversation. You, you, if you're only looking inward, there's no outside world and, and, and there's no space and no space and no theater, right? No space, no conversation, no space, no understanding, no space, no peace in the world because you can't have a conversation if, if you're not reaching through space and finding what actually exists between us, coming to a place where we have an, a common understanding of this thing, right? And the neutral mask is really very much about that because you're creating an imaginary space that you must discover and it must be compelling enough to you to drive you forward with this discovery. And the audience has to be able to see what it is that you're experiencing. You must create it for them in its reality in order for them to go on that journey with you. Um, and, and so there's this, this constant in this idea of space for me. Um, 
and and of course when i get too caught up in my own garbage and i forget about looking into the world um then it becomes impossible to move forward uh um, and there's actual, there's science behind all of this too, this idea of being able to, you know, cognitive science, being able to connect to the horizons um, and, and to see out, we suddenly are able to settle and to become quiet again and to gain perspective um, because we need, we need that extension through space. Um, and, and it allows us to understand the poetics of human experience um because you can't have poetry without space without the space between the words without the space between the vowels and the consonants you can't have it you can't have music without the space between the notes because the music is in, in this space it's not it's not the notes themselves and that's also you know science it's physics it's waves you know they have to travel out and 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 so for me it's that that really is uh, it is the most important thing. And that's the Lecoq. That's the Lecoq training. Um, so many times we heard from him, there's no space here. No space, no theater. But to understand what he meant by that, as, as these young people, clowns <laughs> in school, uh, you know, it's, it's huge. What he was saying was huge, huge. Um, I don't know, does that, does that answer the question a little bit? Yeah, no, it, it, it really does. And, and, and I think it's such a beautiful way of articulating it in the idea of, of, the idea of space being something that is essential to all collaboration, all creation. It's something that, is, that is, exists in everything within art, but then also within life. And I think that duality is, is so poignant and so, you know, in a lot of ways, very profound. Um, it does make me think though, you know, as we sort of come to the end of this um, conversation, I've kind of got two sort of last questions that I um, want to ask you. And, and one of them is our relationship with space in, in a very physical and literal sense has changed quite dramatically in, in the result of the sort of past 12 months um, and everything that's been going on. And one of the things I'm really interested in is, is getting a, a perspective of how people are thinking about the future of, of our creative industries and the future of, of live theater and performance and also its potential in new spaces and new forms. And I was wondering what your thoughts are on where theater and I guess live performance um, can go and maybe needs to go as we slowly move into the next stage of, of um, our creative practice 2021 and beyond? Hmm. Well, that's a very big question. Um, I, I think about this, I actually think about it a lot uh, because one, I'm interested in new forms, constantly wanting to reinvent, redefine what it is both that I do but also the you know the art form itself just because I always think outlandishly huge and when we want to communicate we start by defining the space that we're in right so a simple way of saying that is in the theater you know uh, a, a, a space that defines a, a particular way of communication proscenium 
house, right? Or a theater in the round, or a wagon in the middle of a city square, or an arena thrust, right? It immediately builds a structure that has boundaries in which we can create a conversation. There are rules to all of these spaces that we have to follow uh, that structure that, that way of communicating, that structure the space, that create a form in which we need to, to, to communicate. Jazz is the same way, right? It's a particular form. And so we communicate within that form. It builds a structure. Painting, uh, we, we stretch a canvas and that creates the boundaries and we communicate within that space. Um, sculpture is the same way. Uh, you define the boundaries and then the negative space and the positive space through the form that you're working with. Um, and as we move into the future, uh, one of the devastating things about what's going on right now for us as uh, practitioners in live theater is what we're doing right now. Um, and that is communicating in a virtual world. We can certainly communicate this way, but we can't have an experience and an exchange that animates the space around us in a way that reminds us of our humanity. I, because we're disassociated, we're distanced from each other. I don't have to engage, I can sit back, right? And so the virtual environment becomes really difficult. I, I taught a private workshop last summer and I, I had a couple of students come in to be guinea pig students for the teacher that I was helping to, to learn how to use the masks with. And then I hired a, vide a videographer to come in and uh, video what we were doing so that we could, um, because, you know, it was in the, in the pandemic. We're like, well, okay, what of the mask work? Like, what can we, what translates? And um, the mechanics translated quite nicely to this virtual environment. You could see the physical mechanics of the mask work. You could see the physical problems of the body under the mask. Um, what you could not see was the act to create space. Couldn't see it because it's a one-dimensional environment. And, you know, as I think about the end of this time and our coming back into a world where we can gather together again as human beings and share experiences with one another. I, I would want for that time as concerns live performance and live theater for us to create an experience for our audiences that they can get nowhere else. Because film and television, you know, they, they do things really well for film and television that, that we can't do in the theater. Right? And yet we keep trying. If, if theater could be something inherently theatrical and still engage our audiences in a way that's exciting and actually engages them in the event itself in such a way that it lifts them up, it reminds them of the things that they need to think about, it validates their humanity, challenges them with the world that they build for themselves. Um, but that really is something that is inherently theatrical, that, that would be the goal for me. Creating a space that the community that we're a part of can access and be engaged by, 
I don't think we're doing that as theater artists. I think we're creating mostly for ourselves. I, I think we seldom think really about the communities, the people of the communities in which we live and what are we creating for them. We talk a lot about doing that, but if, if I go and talk to my neighbors and like, you know, most of them never think about the theater, never been to it. And I wonder, well, why would they want to go? And then we look into the world and we're having all these conversations in academia about, you know, diversity and, and the stories of the, you know, of everybody's story and everybody's narrative, right? And that conversation, I think, is, is really, it's, a, it's, I don't think that the conversation is being held in such a way that we can come out on the other side with, um, with something that provides a universal understanding or that, that, that inspires universality. Um, uh, an understanding of the fact that that's, that the human experience is actually the same for all of us. You know, I, I would like us to put aside for a moment the, you know, the big book musicals and contemporary American realism and all this stuff that's, you know, it has value. There's entertainment value in it. And, and sometimes it's, it's necessary for us to just go someplace and like not think about anything other than like this, you know, beautiful music and this, and, and to see some great dancing and that kind of thing. But it's perpetuating a narrative and an experience and entertainment that is not helping us right now and engaging the, the community in ways that I think the, the, the stories aren't coming out of the community. They're not coming out of the people themselves. They're, 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 being, they're, they're coming out of theater people making theater for theater people because that excites us. And there's value in that to a certain degree. But I think it's, it's become so prominent, especially in our educational institutions. I look at the plays and such that were being done at the university I taught at, and then I look to like the local community theater. And it's not that the community theater was doing different stuff than what was being done at the university or anything that was more particularly politically challenging. And of course, as a, as a, as a university instructor, I, I see the value in focusing on stuff that was of quality that was created in the past and then using that as to teach with, right? But it's also in the past. It's not of today and it's certainly not about tomorrow, right? And one of the things that the community theater was doing that didn't exist uh, really in, in, in as dynamic a way is that the people in the community theater, not, you know, not actors, most of them, a couple every now and again, really what they were doing was creating community. You'd have, you'd have three generations of a family in a play. Um, you, had, you had people raising their children in this community theater during rehearsals and, and, and classes and in the offices. And you know, it, it was a place where the community came in all this diverse, all these people who, you know, work their jobs at the bank and, you know, as garbage collectors and, you know, all this kind of stuff and then coming in and then doing a, doing something together that they took ownership over. Um, and that's not to say that that's not happening, that wasn't happening at the university, it, it was, but the reason why the university plays can't address the voices of the young artists is because they're, the plays don't and the musicals don't. And you have all these young artists who you could actually create new work with every time you stepped into a rehearsal studio with their voices 
and 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 there's you know and because you, you have this skilled faculty who are musicians and who are writers and who are directors and experienced artists then you can create something that allows the voices to be heard and out of that would come the beginnings of a future that would allow performance to become vibrant again most of it's going to look pretty bad but in it is going to be the seeds for the future and then when those students leave the university they'll create they'll create something new that's never been seen before that has the elements of the old and uh you know because we don't really actually invent anything we're only forming something that already exists in the space around us if we are uh aware enough of that. So I don't know, I, I have big ideas. I have a project in my mind right now. I'm as the guy who said, don't hesitate, um, hesitating a little bit on uh, sending my feelers out on, just cause it's in my mind awfully big. And right now the day to day is so fraught with nonsense. Yay, pandemic. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that's all like part of it, part of it too, isn't it, as well, is, is kind of managing having these big ideas, but then also knowing that there's timelines and there's processes and there's real world logistics that make it quite hard to action those things. <laughs> yeah, and the older you get and the more you've done, you're like, oh my gosh, and there's this and there's that, that's, that's it's just going to be impossible. And yet, you know, I'm also, I also often say, well, nothing's impossible. I actually don't believe that there's anything that's impossible. And anyway, if that's impossible, well, let's do that. If you, I often say, if you need something done that seems impossible, or you just need something like incredibly difficult done on time, ask a bunch of theater people to do it. They'll figure out how and it'll happen, and it'll happen on a schedule. I toured for years with a company, a uh, little mom and pop out of Philadelphia, and the, the motor that drove all of the work that we created uh, was um, masks, puppets, and big illusion and magic. And so the creative discussions were, okay, so um, we are gonna bring this table on stage and then, I don't know, throw like a tablecloth on it and pull it off and it'll be fully set with like a candelabra burning and like we'll be able to like drink the wine and serve the food and like it'll just magically appear. Can we do that? And the technical director would say, yes. And then he'd go out and he'd build this thing that actually would allow that to happen. You know, we want to appear, we want to disappear on this side of the stage and then just magically reappear on the other. Um, because I don't know, that's how you get from one place to the next. Can, how, can we do that? The TD would be like, uh, sure. And he'd figure out how to make that happen for us. So it was really our job to like bring the impossible to life. And, and the job was first to dream up something as outlandish and as impossible as one could possibly think of, and then make that happen. I don't know if we would think about theater in that way more. Mm rather than the way we think about it now, which is way too corporate. Way too corporate. It's too, it's too structured, too many rules. And, and it's, it's, it's putting the damper on us being able to 
to create stuff new. And I think creating new forms is a lot easier for Europeans and places other than the United States, because here we're just caught in this culture of can't be anything that nobody knows nothing about. So, you know, another production of Cinderella, because we, we already know this story, so we don't have to really, people aren't really intrigued about going to see those things that they haven't seen before, but that's our challenge as artists then. It's presenting yeah. them with theater, really high quality live theater in places that they are going to, but they hadn't expected to encounter a theatrical performance. And I spent quite a bit of time in Europe uh, performing in the streets. And that's of course what that is. You start your play and people have to stop and you have to keep them engaged because <laughs> in the end they have to give you money or you can't buy dinner. And, and so you really have to learn how to engage people in, in a way that speaks to them, uh, gets them to stop for a moment and consider something that they really hadn't considered before because they were on their way to do something else. And maybe by doing that, you can excite people with new forms and new ideas. And, um, and anyway, don't we all have to be outside and social distancing anyway? You know, uh, I, I, I think there are a lot of opportunities that we might be able to take advantage of as live performers that this time, this downtime might actually be good for us. Mm. I worked with a fellow by the name of uh, Juan Borna, uh, who at that time he was the um, artistic director of the National Conservatory of the New Czech Republic. And he was talking about what happened to theater uh, after the fall of the Iron Curtain. And um, he had said that prior to the fall of the Iron Curtain, the theater was really the only place that people could gather in large groups and have in public a subversive conversation about politics. Because uh, if they were smart enough about it, the powers that be didn't know that that's what they were doing, even though it was all out in public, right? And so the theaters were packed, always packed, because people needed it. They needed a place where they could gather. They needed a place where they could come together and have discussions about stuff that was not permitted and get away with it. When the Iron Curtain fell, anybody could go gather in groups and talk about whatever they want. And so the theater started to struggle because people didn't need it anymore. And I think if we remind ourselves that what we do is necessary and that people do need it, then we have to provide them with something that they can access so that they realize, oh, I needed that. I didn't know it. I was starving and this fed me. And if we can remember that in our creative works and in what drives us rather than this, you know, what drives I think a lot of us is ego and um, uh, wanting to satisfy that as opposed to the work itself and then the experience of the audience. If we could let that drive what we do, then we might have a really incredibly vibrant future and, and, and stop the race to, as I like to refer to it here in the States as the Broadway, which, you know, there's plenty of great stuff that happens there, don't get me wrong, but I have no interest in it at all. It doesn't, 
you know, so much artistry, some of the finest performers in the world. And, you know, we have SpongeBob SquarePants, the musical. And I'm a big fan of SpongeBob, but we don't need SpongeBob SquarePants, the musical. It's only about money. And, and in the end, it's not filling us up. It's not feeding us. And feeding us sometimes means we need, to, we need just to laugh. We need to laugh a lot. One of the most significant uh, experiences I had as a performer years and years ago was, um, was uh, we, I was on tour doing this children's theater tour. It was the, this really the most ridiculous version of the legend of Sleepy Hollow that had ever been uh, that had ever been written. It was just dumb. 45 minutes of silliness. And, and we arrived in the middle of the middle of this town. I don't remember where it was. It was like a, a hall. It wasn't actually a theater. And when we got there, there wasn't anybody there. We were about an hour early because it took us about half hour to set up. So we got there, we were about an hour, nobody was there. About 40 minutes to curtain, somebody shows up, unlocks the place, goes in. So we carry the equipment in, setting it all up, and the person's like setting up chairs and, you know, getting ready for the performance. And we set up the set and curtain time, it's like five minutes before curtain and nobody's there. And we're like, hmm, another one of these, we're gonna like do it for the presenter and go back to the hotel. And then, and then all of a sudden, like, cars start coming up and, like, parking lot fills up and people are flowing in. And, you know, we started about 15 minutes late because, you know, everybody was just arriving. And it was really standing room only um, by the time the performance started. All these families with their kids and everything coming in. And uh, the minute we hit the stage, the audience is, like, laughing uproariously. It was so much laughing. Everything was funny. And everything wasn't funny. It was, it was a little off-putting. Like, we were like, what is going on? It can't be this enjoyable. And then at the end of the performance, you know, we, we ended our, our, our silly show and then uh, put our stuff down and came out on the stage. We always had a, a Q&A after, because it was family, you know, it's theater for young audiences and it's nice to uh, have the kids be able to ask questions. And, and the Q&A went on for longer than the show had gone on. And finally, we were like, we, we kind of, you know, thank you very much, everybody, but we really have to go check into the hotel because we've got an early drive tomorrow to another town. And nobody left. They didn't want to leave. <clears throat> I always get a little verklempt. It was the eve of the Gulf War. Um, and this town was right outside a gigantic military base. People needed to laugh because all of their sons and daughters had shipped out and they were waiting because war was starting tomorrow. And so we just, we needed to laugh, right? So, you know, what we do doesn't need to be profound uh, and it doesn't always need to be wickedly poetic either. But it has to meet our audiences with what they need when they need it, um, in the places that they need it. Because the reality is, is the Broadway, it's really for a lot of rich people who can afford to be tourists. Um, and it's rich people over the age of 55, for the most part. It's not people in the communities that, that need an evening out or that 
have an interest in experiencing uh, something new or just would like to have a story told to them quietly that they can uh, engage in in their own way. And, and I think we forget that often when we're creating because those grand venues are being held up as the, as the big, you know, that's the goal um, rather than a conversation that happens between 25 people who for a moment are changed forever. And, and that really, I think is, if we were reaching for that more often, I think the theater would be so much more vibrant I think in, in many ways in, in our, you know, at least my experience, and it's now a very distant and mostly romantic idea in my mind of, you know, what I experienced when I was in Europe uh, is quite different because the venues are smaller. The audiences are interested in the art form itself. Um, they're more willing to go experience all kinds of things that they've never seen before just because that's what they do. And, and so it's, it might be easier in other places of the world than it is here but maybe we're ready for it here. I don't know, we go, we're going through so much as a country right now during this pandemic um, that is uh, really difficult. It's, I don't know, it, it leaves one with a sense, without a sense of hope on many, many days. And yet the masks teach us that the human experience is a universal one. So that must mean that everybody is going through the same thing. And there must be a way for us to come together. And maybe that place to come together is just experiencing stories in a space where we're all sitting down, shoulder to shoulder, sharing an experience. Um, and, you know, I think that the theater has a role to play. It's just a question like, what, what will it be? Yeah, I mean, it is, it is, so powerful and, and I feel like that is really what's needed is actually as creators going like how can we serve the communities that are here what like what can we do what can we imagine that might seem impossible but if we try and put something together we can learn we can discover what theatre can be and how theatre can be used if we let the communities actually be a part of the process let the communities be a part of of our of our creative discovery and make something for them alongside them. If we can explore new ways of collaboration, if we can explore new ways of presenting theater in new spaces, uh, you know, with, with new technology, like, like there's so much possible um, and, and so many things that theater can do because all it takes is one, one person in a space, you know, with with another person on stage you know and that like that would can change someone's life forever like that can have such a profound impact you know just like the story that you spoke of with that with that community like the theater is essential it is such a profound part of who we are as human beings and it has the potential to have such a broad and varying impact on so many people we've just got to find ways to to lean into that and to, you know, to jump off that, that um, precipice and, and explore the murky waters beneath to find a way to showcase it and bring more people and, and create something that leverages theatre's power and what theatre can be. And, and even ask those questions of what can theatre be now? Um, what can we create that is theatrical, that draws inspiration from the past, but 
reflects the present and explores the future. Um, so, yeah, I think that really, to me, feels like a beautiful spot to bring this conversation to a close. Um, before I sort of ask you about how people can support you and see the work that you're doing, I just want to acknowledge you um, for the incredible work that you are doing. I've gone through and watched all of the videos that you're posting on Instagram and Vimeo and you know, for anyone listening, you can go on and you can actually watch Jonathan's process. You can learn about the masks. Um, there's even some sort of longer lecture style videos on there. And it's really insightful and it's really inspiring. And um, I really, really encourage anyone listening to go have a look at it. Um, Jonathan, I have learned so much in this conversation and I really, really appreciate you coming on. And I look forward to following your journey and supporting your journey in any way that I can. And hopefully one day, um, meeting you in person so that I can, I can learn from you practically as well. But um, before we wrap up, um, where's the best spot that the audience can go and support you and find out more about what you do? Well, my social media is kind of just a vomit of social media everywhere. But you can find me on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, those are probably the places. Uh, Vimeo, of course, is the newer, is the one that's just starting now. I'm probably going to be gravitating most of this stuff to Vimeo because Vimeo actually posts to YouTube. So um, uh, I'll probably be focusing there. And also because my web developer is a bigger fan of Vimeo in terms of the quality of it. The website also is, uh, it's being redesigned and redeveloped hopefully in a month or so it'll go live. Um, there'll be a, a social media platform there, a proprietary platform, a forum, a place where artists can come and kind of uh, have conversations and uh, group together and share their work. And my hope is that it'll be artists of all genres, painters, sculptors, dancers, musicians, actors, playwrights, uh, just really anybody because we can only invent new ways of doing things if we're all together, like sharing work, uh, whatever it might be. And that's uh, www.theater-masks.com. Um, the website, of course, is there right now. It's really dated. Uh, so if you go to it now, <laughs> sorry, it's 20 years old. Um, uh, but it, it'll be updated soon. So that's a good place to go. Either the theater-masks.com uh, Facebook page or my page, which is Jonathan Kip Becker. Um, that's also the Instagram is Jonathan Kip Becker. Those, those are the places I tend to post to most. And you can probably find your way to the other channels through those places. But yeah, I'm trying to be better at social media. It's just so much. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. But it, it sounds like there's so many exciting things um, coming up for you and, and, and the business. And, and I'm so excited to see where it all goes. So Thanks again for coming on the podcast and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, well, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Take care.